Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I am your host, Molly, and welcome. Welcome back to a premium exclusive episode. This is an episode that is dedicated to my premium submarines on Patreon, but if you're tuning in from the public feed, that means you will get a little sneak preview. But for my subscribers, you're gonna get the whole thing. So if you'd like to unlock the full episode, as well as ad-free content and hundreds of hours of bonus episodes, you can sign up at patreon.com slash back from the borderline. What you're listening to now is going to be part four of our little premium book club that I'm doing. And we are reading a book called The Radical Therapist. This book, which was written between 1970 and 1972, is a collection of essays in an alternative mental health journal, which emerged as a critique of traditional psychiatry and a proponent of social change as the primary treatment for mental illness. The critical psychiatry movement of which all of these therapists were a part challenged established psychiatric principles. 
Because this book is structured in the form of various different essays, you actually don't even really have to listen to these episodes in order. In today's exploration, we are moving on to a part of the book that contains an anonymous letter from someone named CB, who spent several years in mental institutions and is now out. Mind you, this was in the 70s, but we're going to dive into their anonymous letter. So let's get into it. If you're listening from the public feed, you're going to hear a quick ad and then we'll just hop straight in. All right, let's do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, so very cryptic. This is a letter from someone who calls themselves CB. And before we dive in, it looks like they've sort of anonymized certain things. So if you hear me kind of like skip over words or say like M, M State Hospital, it's because they've clearly anonymized some of these things to protect, I guess, the institutions or not give themselves away more likely. And so just keep that in mind when I'm reading this. Also, for a bit of historical context, this was, again, written in 1971, this particular letter. So this is going to take you into the world of someone who was in various different psychiatric institutions in the 1970s, and it will let you know what it was like back then. All right. So let's let's hear what CB has to say about spending years in mental hospitals in the 1970s. Dear blank, today I'm feeling broken as a human being and your letter which we received today made me think twice about the reason for this. Is it my illness creeping back again as it so often does? Or is it a result of the system which purports to help those who are ill? I feel less able to cope with the world than ever before. To be snatched from a world in which you feel you have no place, no matter how small, and purpose, no matter how insignificant, to a hospital is a most jarring experience. People need to feel that they're contributing to the environment in which they live. You're in the hospital to, quote, get better, and that's the only purpose. It would be sufficient if the patients were given some responsibility to this end. In the hospital, you must, one, get up in the morning. In some places, even this isn't required. Two, eat, if you want to, at specified times, the food that's planned and prepared by others. Three, take your medicine, which is handed out at specific times by a uniformed nurse. Four, attend activities, if indeed there are any, that have no purpose other than to keep you, quote, occupied. And five, go to bed. 
It's a pretty dull existence in which everything you need is handed out in neat little packages, even the therapy. Not when you may need it most, but again at specified times. I guess any institution needs to keep a schedule, but God, it's deadly for the patient. Pretty soon the patient begins to look around for some way of changing the careful orderliness of the routine and soon finds out that if you cause enough ruckus, you can one, get a needle, two, in some places a straitjacket, three, an isolation room, or four, if the place is well-staffed, someone to stay not less than three feet from you at all times, or five, sodium amytal, which sort of puts you out of it in a high, which makes the place more bearable. Not all outcries are made of boredom and this wish to break the terrible, efficient orderliness of the place, but I think a good deal of them are. What patients want is some recognition of themselves as individuals. Even the routine of making a ruckus doesn't satisfy the need for being recognized and appreciated as an individual who may have something positive to contribute. Instead, they are reduced to making a fuss to change the routine, and even this is unsatisfying after a while. Some people think that the means of dealing with upset patients is cruel. Really, it isn't so. They are, to the upset patient, a means of getting a response. That means his problem, even if not a real one, is recognized and dealt with. To the sick patient, it is a form of love, the only kind he can extract from his environment. In the hospital, you learn that there are a very minimum number of things you must do to exist. This is the terrible message of the hospital. You don't even need to wash yourself or brush your teeth to get along. All motivation is drained, for your very minimum needs will be taken care of for you. This attitude is carried with you when you leave. It doesn't really matter what you do or don't do. On leaving the hospital, there's the added problem of feeling guilty for not doing more than the minimum, but it's already ingrained in you that nothing is really essential. I guess what I'm talking about is the fostering of dependencies of already dependent people, the taking away of all motivation to do things for yourself. Even taking medicine, though I admit sometimes it's necessary, means to a patient that he is sick and can't control his own behavior. In the hospital, the rewards for being, quote, sick are so much greater than the ones for being, quote, healthy. The first hospital I entered was G Hospital. This was anonymized. Essentially, it was a drying out place for alcoholics and a waiting station for those going to other hospitals. I suppose its function was diagnostic. Therapy, if any, was provided by the patient's own doctor. Most of my time there was spent pacing the floors. Most of the anxiety there was not knowing what to do to help myself to get better. I was still under the illusion, which Dr. B had led me to believe, that I would only be in the hospital for a few weeks. I was anxious to get help so that I could return to the outside as soon as possible, but there was no help, only endless conferences about where I would be sent next. The weeks dragged into a whole month, a long time for someone to just wait to get help. He then talks about another place and he just refers to it as P and then it's like blanked out. So we can't see the name of this place. I would characterize this next place as the one which in my experience gave the greatest rewards for being sick, especially for acting out. I entered on a fairly well ward. For some reason, I still don't know. I was sent up to the blank floor, which had patients who were more obviously sick. There was more staff, more medicine, more things you couldn't take with you onto the ward. 
Oh yes, every time you changed wards, your belongings were gone through with a fine-tooth comb to see if you had any forbidden items, and then you yourself were looked over. It seemed almost a challenge to smuggle in certain items. There was the feeling that you were a dangerous person, not to be trusted in the least bit. This certainly makes you want to give them what they expect, a wild, unmanageable patient. There were other rewards for being cuckoo, too. You got much more attention in all sorts of ways. There was the pulse chart. You had your pulse taken 20 million times a day, and the yes, no chart for your BMs. Every detail of your life was down on paper, and what's more, you couldn't see what was written about you, nor could you know what your diagnosis was. I'm going to take a tiny break here. Because I've heard this too from multiple people who have written me and said that they were either psychiatric trainees or just people that worked in different mental hospitals is the notes that are written about you, the things that the different, uh, you know, attendees, nurses, doctors, psychiatrists write in your notes, they're kept from you. And oftentimes they won't even tell you what your diagnosis is. And I have heard so many people becoming even suicidal or going completely down a spiral when they get their hands on their psychiatric notes from a, an inpatient stay and they read them and they read the horrific things especially people labeled with things like borderline personality disorder when they read the notes that have been written about them by staff just saying attention seeking or manipulative right definitely borderline these kinds of things i'm paraphrasing of course but it is really really traumatizing experience for a lot of people to go back and read their psychiatric notes if they request them so I'll continue. He goes on to write, I have said that these things are rewards, but in the end, they're really not helpful in getting you better and out of the hospital. These things cater to the already sick person and his feelings about himself. For instance, the person who feels impulses to harm himself will feel more inclined to carry out these ideas if he feels that other people are afraid that he will not be capable of stopping himself. He will carry out the expectations of others. There were other floors too, each with different rules, and so I spent two years shuttling between the unrestricted and restricted floors. P blank is a private hospital, and I gather runs on private funds from the families of patients there. It's an exorbitantly expensive treatment center. My uncle stopped paying them because he no longer wanted me to stay there. It took them six months to get me into a state hospital, and during that time, my bills mushroomed. The final bill was $40,000, which my uncle refused to pay. This is in the 70s. So I worked in an inpatient drug and alcohol rehab center, and I can confirm this was probably in about 2018, and the prices were even more expensive. And I can't even imagine what they are now in 2023, 2024. So I'll go on to continue. They later tried to sue my mother, but settled it out of court. I don't know what the final settlement was. My feeling is that no hospital, no matter how wealthy the patients are, should charge such exorbitant prices. My illness was only fostered. Why should I pay high prices for that? It was physically comfortable with private rooms and the food was edible and fattening. That was all. Next, he talks about his next hospital, and this was, he, he transferred out of the private hospital, and now we're talking about the state hospital, which he refers to as M State Hospital. I first entered on the admissions ward. It was a huge place, less physically comfortable than the two previous ones, but in some ways better. 
At first I had to wear a state gown. So like basically, you know, like you're changing into kind of like a little hospital moo-moo outfit. <laughs> I had not one thing of my own. Everything that was personally mine was taken away. I had a bed in the infirmary of the admissions ward. One of those high hospital beds with the rails on it. I felt it was the end of the line. I felt so hopeless that I lay in bed for months getting up only to smoke four cigarettes a day and to have shock treatments three times a week. I didn't even have enough will to live to feed myself. So I was fed by someone on the staff. Not even one thing was expected of me, not even to feed myself. There wasn't enough staff and what was there I couldn't speak to, so they didn't bother to talk to me, though that might have helped eventually. After all, I was still alive and I could hear most of the time. They didn't even respect my feelings enough to tell me that I was to start ECT. So before we continue, let's talk a little bit about what ECT is. ECT is something that stands for electroconvulsive therapy, and it's a psychiatric treatment that involves passing electric currents through the brain to intentionally induce seizures. And this procedure is usually administered under general anesthesia and muscle relaxants to minimize the discomfort. ECT has a really complicated history, and it's been used as a psychiatric treatment since around the 1930s. It was initially developed as a way to address severe mental illness, particularly severe depression and other quote-unquote psychotic disorders. The idea was that inducing seizures might have therapeutic effects on certain mental health conditions. The intended goals of ECT was to relieve symptoms of depression, mania, and catatonia. But despite its long history of use, it has been a really controversial treatment due to concerns about serious side effects like memory loss and the lack of clear understanding of its mechanisms of action. In the modern era, it's still used, but it's generally considered a treatment of last resort for what people perceive to be severe cases of mental illness that haven't responded to other treatments. It's more refined and controlled today with advancements in anesthesia and monitoring to supposedly minimize risks. But concerns about the safety and ethical aspects of ECT have led to serious debates and criticism. So what was going on with ECT in the 70s is what I wanted to find out because that's where our anonymous writer is writing from. So during the 70s, it was much more commonly used than it is today, ECT. And during that time, there was less regulation and oversight and the procedure was sometimes administered in ways that would be considered unethical, to say the least, by today's standards. Reports of abuse and concerns about patient rights contributed to increased scrutiny and criticism of ECT during the 70s. Long story short, this is a really brutal and medicalized treatment to essentially just numb and sedate people. That's, that's the vibe. So let's keep reading. It was only then that I knew I was to have ECT. Quite a shock, literally and otherwise. This went on, I later figured out, for 10 weeks or more. Even after the shock treatments, it felt like the punishment I deserved. There was more lying around in bed with no one to talk to. Finally, I came to one day and decided that, felt that, I wanted to write all of this. The only fight I knew was against myself, and there being a limited number of night staff, I was put into a straitjacket, more politely called a camisole. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm going to laugh. Calling it a camisole, a cami, a little, just a little crazy cami, you know, just a little straitjacket cami, no big deal. 
That was after the usual needle of Thorazine. So let's look up what Thorazine is. Okay, I'm back after a quick Google. Thorazine, whose generic name is chlorpromazine. It's an antipsychotic and it's known in the class of drugs as a typical or first generation antipsychotic. It was introduced in the 1950s and primarily used for psychosis and schizophrenia. It works by affecting the balance of certain chemicals in the brain, including dopamine. The uses were for bipolar, schizophrenia, and severe behavioral problems in children. SMFH. Dear God. It was commonly prescribed from the 50s to the 70s and 80s, but its use has declined over the years due to the development of newer antipsychotic medications with potentially fewer side effects. Second-generation atypical antipsychotics such as olazapine, quetiapine, ones that I can't pronounce, have more favorable side effect profile, LOL. The, let's read about some of the side effects of thorazine, which is what they shot this guy up with. Drowsiness, blurred vision, dried mouth, constipation, and in some cases, uh, symptoms like movement disorder or tardive dyskinesia. As a result, the decision to use thorazine or any other antipsychotic is based on careful consideration of the potential benefits and risks. Antipsychotics are some of the most dangerous and debilitating uh, pharmaceutical drugs from a psychiatric perspective in existence today. And people are thrown on these very often and not told about the side effects. In some cases, like in the case of this guy, not even given an option of whether to take it or not. So not only is this man not being spoken to, he's being given random bouts of electroconvulsive therapy, which is highly invasive brain shocks, and then he's being dosed with Thorazine, which is a first-generation antipsychotic, <laughs> and then be being put in a camisole, aka a straitjacket. What in the actual fuck? <laughs> Let's keep reading. That was after the usual needle of Thorazine, three of them in one night, which further fulfilled my wish for self-punishment. The next morning, I was carted off to the chronic ward. So far, I had received no therapy other than ECT. I really did feel that this is what I deserved. It's a punishment in that it dehumanizes you, but also a reward in that at least you're getting some sort of reaction out of the people around you. Again, my things were combed over. I was stripped naked. Notes were taken on scars and other identifying features, and I was again placed in a state gown. The ugliest things, worse than potato sacks. Finally, I got my clothes back and a therapist. He was a resident, so that didn't last long. In other words, he was a trainee. Things hadn't been going well. It was at one point when I think that they gave up on me, for after the resident left, I was not assigned another therapist. I had given up too. I was shuffled from one meaningless activity to the next. One of the activities I remember as a child, a rhythm band, we pounded on sticks or clappers for an hour each week. For most of us, it was the most degrading experience to have someone stand up in front of you and tell you to beat the sticks in time to some horrible march music or other. Y'all, what in the fuck? What in the actual fuck is this? How... Did they expect people to find any kind of self-knowledge and sovereignty and sense of individuation or a sense of meaning when they are absolutely dehumanized and treated like children, infantilized, and poked and prodded 
and subdued, put in straight jackets, shot up with medication, shocked their brains. It's just disgusting. It's really disgusting. Without further treatment, someone decided that I needed to be rehabilitated, so I was sent to the bag factory. For someone with a college background to be sent to fold bags, we got paid for it, was degrading enough. Everyone around you hallucinating, but for all this we were paid, if you worked hard enough, $5 a month. I felt after a month or so working there that if all I was good for for the rest of my life, I'd rather not live. So for the second time in the hospital, I rebelled in the only way I knew how against myself and ended up in the infirmary on ECT again. I don't know how long I was on them that time. I expect not as long as before. The one good thing about M, which is the state hospital name, is that you were well enough. All right, everyone, that's it for this week's preview of our premium submarine episode. If you want to unlock the full version of this episode and hundreds of hours of additional bonus content, you can sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash back from the borderline. In the rest of this episode, we just finish up the anonymous letter from CB. And throughout the rest of the letter, this person details how they eventually made their way out of constant psychiatric treatment and how it felt adjusting back into the real world with the stigma of being labeled basically a psych patient. So there is so much to unpack and if you want to hear the rest of it, you can check it out on Patreon. The support of my premium submarines on Patreon really helps me pay my bills, helps me continue making this content for you. But if you continue to listen for free, that's what I run ads on the podcast for. That's okay too. Whatever you feel comfortable doing. I know finances can be tight. Been there, trust me. But the good news is Patreon subscription is pretty much no more than the cost of one bougie coffee plus tip because I hope you're tipping your baristas when you get a coffee. We got to. I know how it feels to not be getting tipped when you're a service worker. But I digress. Join us on Patreon or don't. But thank you so much for being here with me. Remember, you are not broken. You are not disordered or dysfunctional. You are a human being growing and evolving. And never forget, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.